I'm just going to read a well-known verse or verses tonight in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's what we're going to read tonight. Um, well-known verses here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. This is what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, unless, or less, not of works, lest any man should boast. We'll read those words one more time. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So some of the, uh, I've spoken on this verse a number of times, and tonight I just want to take it up looking at those last couple of words that the, the verse ends with here. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you're familiar with what we would just call Christianity or people who would say that they're Christians, there's always this argument um, between all different groups of people that would claim to acknowledge uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And it is this, are you saved by what you do or are you saved without doing anything? And people have argued this uh, for many, many years. I mean, centuries, right? Uh, this argument has been made. I found a couple of quotes that are unique, so if you want to use these, take these from here. Uh, gospel messages are, are great because there's no copyright on this. You can plagiarize, right? You know, because I'm simply plagiarizing God's Word. I'm taking it and, and really just uh, sending it out again. So if these help you maybe to express the gospel, this would be something keen. Uh, it, it tells me this. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, he goes, salvation is not of works, right? He goes, my salvation is not of works, but my salvation is one that works. It, it works. A lot of people would claim to have something, and you would say, did it work? Did it work? Whatever your belief is. A lot of people tell me, you know, you could either believe in God or not believe in God, but you're, you're going to get through this life, though, somehow. Life has demands. Life has consequences. Life has difficulties. If you haven't realized that, it's time to get out of your house, right? Life has difficulties. And so I would ask you, do you have a salvation that works? This is just not, sometimes we say, oh, heaven, heaven, heaven. Well, guess what? For most of us, if the Lord doesn't come, heaven's 60 years away, maybe 30, maybe 20. So salvation is something that works in this life. But it's not through my works. Another writer has said, We are not saved by our works. We are saved by a work. The work of Christ at Calvary. And so tonight, you forget everything else except for these little cliche sayings. I have one more for you. Salvation is not, it's not achievement, right? It's not as it were when we would look down and say, Salvation is not earning and achieving. It's believing and receiving. Right? Simply put, you can't earn this. You can't, you can't somehow do enough to gain this. And so I just want to start because I'm going to talk about this thing, not of works, 
unless we should boast. Because everyone boasts in something. Sometimes when you come to the Bible, there are things that we do in life, and we would say, okay, there's a certain way I live my life. You would say, there are things I would never do in my life, and I would never encourage you to do, but somehow when it comes to uh, spiritual things, or when it comes to eternity, we would say, well, we make make exceptions. Like, for instance... um, Oh, I read a billboard. I think it was on Route 80. It said this. It says, We spend more time planning for vacations than we do for retirement. Now, I'm never going to retire. So my last vacation was in 2004. And that one was the Vanson Park in Paramus. I only planned for five minutes. You know, you say, oh, that wasn't a big deal, right? I only planned for five minutes. Well, my, my retirement, I don't know if that's ever going to exist because I'm planning for all your Social Security here. So I'm probably going to retire about 95. So... You say, well, yeah, but that, 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 that actually illuminated a lot of people's minds, and they say, isn't that crazy, right? You say, we would never, we would never, as it were, in something in life, we would say, spend time on what is important, but if I asked you today, just, just genuinely, and I'm not, you know, you said, well, a lot of times, uh, there were sometimes individuals, and they would give you an answer from the audience, and I love that. If you want to give me an answer, I would love that. But if I said to you today, I mean, your thoughts about God today, I mean, if you had to stack them up, what, what, what would they contrast with, right? I think there are more people spending time scrolling through Instagram, right? Than scrolling through Scripture. And you would say, there's more chance that I devoted more decisions on what I would like and what I would not like on that same device than whether or not I was even seeking the, the dislike or the like of God. And so sometimes, where I'm consumed with my time, not only that, you say in this life or that life, or, or knowing, not knowing, sometimes... We have to watch it. My brother Caleb told me he made this mistake. In July, if you ask someone, where are you going to school, like to college, if they tell you on July 10th, I don't know, it's not good, right? It's not good. College starts like August 20th, right? (laughs) You better have decided. You know, you say, hey, you got to know, figure it out, right? Get on the track. You'd say, we, would, we want to know things. I want to know maybe what I'm doing next week. I want to know where the Sunday school picnic is, right? You'd say, I want to know things, you know? That was a shout out there. You say, I just want to know things. I, I, I don't want to go through life not knowing. And yet you ask people about heaven and you'd say, do you know you're going there? They say, I just haven't put a lot of thought into it. And so there's things in life you'd say, I would never do it in life. Why would I do it in eternity? Same thing with boasting. Um... I, I think sometimes we watch enough uh, sporting events, right? The guy gets to the end zone, uh, and I remember, I don't know if it was a, a famous commentator, he said, when you, when, you, when you do something good in sports, another thing, maybe my coach told me this, Coach Hackett, uh, and my high school coach, he goes, act like you've been there before, right? You see some of these guys who score a touchdown, and you think it was the first time they ever made it to the end zone. They go crazy, right? And my favorite sporting moment is when the guy celebrates too much and gets a penalty, and it causes them to lose the game. I love it when the camera pans to him on the sideline. That's my favorite moment of any sporting event. Because he goes from just this super guy, right? And he was boasting, and he was almost, uh, the whole world was in his fingertips. And you see him on the tears coming down his eyes, right? He's got his helmet off, right? And you think, serves you right, right? Boasting. Or honor roll student stickers on the back of your car, right? And you raise your hand, any parents here with my kids in honor roll? I saw one yesterday, it said, my kid beat up your honor roll student, right? And I said, that's the one I want on my car, right? My honor roll student, I know it, you know what, that actually shows my own sin, right? Because 
I'm just envious of you because I never even gave my parents a chance to buy a knockoff version of that sticker, right? And you say, but boasting, boasting just seems to come naturally in life, but we would never encourage our kids to boast. And, and you would never tell someone else to boast. In fact, you know, a, a famous quote by a man who's a well-known biblical scholar, but you could use it as a life quote. He says, boasting is just an advertisement of our poverty. Boasting is just an advertisement. It might as well be a billboard of our poverty in any situation, in in any department in life. And so boasting, it all of a sudden tells me that it's going to show me of my poverty. And you say, are there any exceptions to this rule? Because we're not going to boast in life, you say, David. If it's going to show my poverty, whether I'm going to boast about my, my, my accomplishments or my success or my wealth or my health or my house or anything, you say, when is it okay to boast? Well, the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, forbid it, Lord that I boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. So as far as I see it, heaven and earth allow one boast and one boast only. And it would be the last thing that anyone would boast in. No one here would boast in an electric chair. No one here would boast in a, in a gallow, right? No one would boast in a gas chamber. No one would boast in an assassination. And yet, this fits into that same category. And Paul says, if you want to boast, boast in this. But there was a man who was nailed to a cross for you. But that's the only thing to boast in. And when we come to these verses, just look at some of those words. They would right away tell us uh, how to fit this word boast, or how to take it out. Because the first verse, the word that we read there, grace, getting what we don't deserve. You say, there's no boasting there. I'm getting something that... That was never, it was never meant to come to me. I, I can think of a number of instances in life. You're almost humiliated when you get something that you don't deserve. Uh, like being overpaid for something or, or overcongratulated for something. You say it's just uncomfortable. And yet God bestows His grace on us. He gives us something we don't deserve. Where's the boasting? It's not there. You say it doesn't exist. The Bible tells us not only grace, but it, it talks about being saved. Have you ever been saved, right? I was saved three times from drowning. I've saved one person from drowning, so I'm two away from being equal. But you say, to save someone, to save someone, just the actual action, the word, it necessitates this. That person can't boast, right? You can't. I've had a number of incidents where where I've been found. Maybe I've had a low blood, or I've had a moment or that, and someone has come, and they have saved me. You know, I... I don't boast in anything, because if I could boast, I couldn't use the word saved. But to be saved means I'm helpless. And, and, and the last word, and that significant word that Paul uses, he says, your salvation is going to be as a result of faith. You know, faith is one of those words, I would say in the whole human vocabulary, as far as me as a person, faith is one of those, those words, it's like the most helpless word. It, it, it's a, it directs the attention to something else. It's, it's other-directed. It's directed towards someone else. It's, it almost shows me to be helpless or, or without hope that I have to depend on someone else. I hate depending on people. You can imagine, uh, you know, you've got to leave on time for someone and you've got to depend on someone else for a ride. Well, you may be used to that now, but you say, no, like, I want, I want the ball in my own hands. I want, to be, I want to be in charge of my decisions. I don't want to have to depend on you. 
I don't want to have to live off your coattails. I don't want to depend on you in order to sustain my life. You say, but here, God says if you're going to be saved, it's going to be a dependence on someone else. And so it takes boasting completely out of it. It it, it separates it. And Paul says that. he In Romans, he says about this word boasting, he says, um, where is boasting? Is it in works? He goes, no, no, no. He goes... He goes, it's not there. He goes, he goes, boasting isn't worse. He goes, but it's it's not in faith. He goes, if you want to boast, Paul says, he goes, I I can give you things to boast about. He says, for instance, you know, you could go on boasting just about this, your wages. You ever meet someone who it tells you we have a problem at work? You say, if if someone opened up your paycheck, right? You could you could get hurt, where I work at least, if someone opened your paycheck. You you would get hurt, right? You say, no, no one, no one actually, it's a, when you make it to a certain mark, when you're making seven figures, that's when you start boasting to other people about how much you make, right? But you say boasting in wages is one of those tactless, almost, uh, you would say, there, there's, there's, there's nothing about it that, that anyone likes. And, and maybe that's why it is unique that politician salaries are posted online, right? It's just because maybe it's an equalizer. Unfortunately, they're overpaid, right? You say, but boasting in wages. But Paul says this, go ahead and boast in the wages that you're making because he talks about the wages of sin. And he says, he says, if you want to take that, he goes, every man's getting paid and everyone's going to get paid. And the, the, the outcome might be more than you could have thought. He goes, but, but, but realize this, realize that God's going to pay everyone one day. But that God also gives a gift. And no one boasts in that gift. No one, because you don't boast in gifts, you receive it. He says not only that, he goes, you could boast in your righteousness. He goes, but they're like filthy rags. He says, no one would boast in those. It it would be pointless to boast in something like that because it makes no sense. But yet we find that. Maybe in this life, people boasting about what they're doing, I guess in order to get there. And so Paul talks about those things. And when you go to your dictionary, if you were just to define boasting, I guess the way Webster would, he says it's this. Boasting is having satisfaction, not only in my achievement, in my possessions, and my ability. My achievement, my possessions, and my ability. Sometimes we think we're better than other people. I would even venture to say there may be people in this tent and you may think you have a slight advantage over someone else. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says that if you were in my shoes and you had my life, if the same things that happened to me today happened to you, you would act the same way I did. The Bible says that if you were in the shoes of, say, Adolf Hitler, and the same things that happened to him, the same things that were said to him, and the same people he had around him, if you took you, your identity, put him in his shoes, you would do the same thing he did. You say, no, I wouldn't. Okay, well then you can go against the Bible and claim a moral superiority. But the Bible says you would act the same based on the circumstances of anybody else. You know, we're all the same. We're all slaves to sin. We're all sold under sin. None of us can claim a higher ground than anyone else. Sometimes we think that. Like, I got a little edge over you, and, and with a little education, a little knowledge, Dave, if I see the world maybe twice as much as you do, somehow it will give me a slight edge. But the Bible says no. It says we're all the same. You might disdain men. Some of us do. I think about someone that you absolutely are appalled at. 
someone who you would just say is, is, is pretty much just the, the dirt of society. If you were in their shoes today, you, you, you would do the same thing. The Bible says it. So when it comes to this verse, salvation, it says boasting is excluded because salvation is not based on what I'm going to do. It is based on what is done. And if boasting is satisfaction in my achievements and my possessions, right? And, and what I have done, what I have achieved and what I possess and what I'm able to do, just take a look at Christ. Take a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. His achievements. In six days, He created the universe. You know, in all four Gospels, I never ever hear Him mention that to anyone. In all four Gospels, all those times where He gets up and He speaks to individuals, He speaks to disciples, He speaks to women, He speaks to men, He speaks to beggars, and He he speaks to governors. I never hear Him once bring up the fact that in six days, He created everything. As far as achievements, that's probably par none. When it comes to possessions, the Bible says that he owned a, a cattle on a thousand hilltops. You know, I never hear him talking about that. In fact, on the opposite, I hear him asking men for pennies. When it comes not only to, will you say, achievements and possessions, ability, a, a, a ability as it were, of what he could do. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says about him that he upholds everything, or he makes everything stick together by the words from his mouth. But I I don't hear him telling anybody about that when he's walking around Nazareth. He didn't boast about it. When it comes to Calvary, when it comes to what happened at Calvary, and you would say the achievement, not only of six days creating the universe, but in six hours dying for your sin, that's quite an achievement. And you had nothing to do with it. Not only the achievement, you would say, but the possessions. You'd say eternal life, being able to offer that, never having to boast about it, right? Because it wasn't mine, it was given to me. Not only that possession, but the ability, the ability of Him to save. Sometimes we wonder, who will get saved in the meetings? Uh, Who is it? And when we look forward, who would accept Christ? There's no limit. If, If I look through an audience tonight, you know, sometimes you identify, who here is saved? Like, I know everyone tonight. So I look at you and I, I, I'd almost just want you to raise your hand if you said, I don't know if I'm saved or not. And I'd like to tell you personally that if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, He would save you tonight. He has the ability to save. There, there's no doubting that. If five people trusted Him tonight, five people would get saved. He is able to save. And this ability, and you think all those things that boasting are, you say they, they find actually a, just a, a special uniqueness when it comes to the cross. To have satisfaction in those things is possible in one thing that Paul says I can boast in, which is the cross of Christ. And, 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 and that is it. I, I don't know, you know, the different things that we could continue on. Uh, when you get to university, I, I don't know, I, not having been there in a couple of years, when you get there and, and people ask, you know, Sometimes they like to tell you that, right? In the orientation day, what, how did you how did you get here? You know, what were your what were your achievements? What did you do to to gain this nobility that you're at this school or you're at this job or wherever it is? And and, and you could boast about something. You could boast about a GPA. You could boast about uh, a, a different parts of, of your education that promoted you to a certain place. But heaven's not like that. 
you get to heaven. People have told me, I met a guy at the tent last night, and I asked him after speaking for an hour, how do people get to heaven? And he says, by, by doing good. And I said, if you got to heaven and you turned to the guy next to you and he said, how did you get here? And he would go, well, you want it? And he would start telling you what he did. And the next guy would say, well, what I did, that wouldn't be a heaven. That would be a hell. And so the Bible tells me that, that it's not based on that. That heaven is guaranteed because of Christ. And so if you're going to heaven tonight, sometimes we ask people, are you saved? Are, do you know it for sure? I can't, I can't draw it out of you. But I would ask you, if, if you know you're going to heaven for sure, because it's a possibility that you could say, I'm depending on some part of me, some part of my emotion, some part of my feeling, something else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, if I'm going to boast, it's going to be boasting in the cross of Christ and nothing else. Just that. It's the one thing that the world does not want to hear about. You go to your campus, you go to your workplace, and you bring up the cross of Christ, and you see what people think. It is probably the last talked about subject. It is the least appreciated thing on earth. And yet it is the one thing that makes it possible for us to be forgiven. It's something, you know, if anything, it directs the attention away from me. It's not about me. Uh, I was thinking sometimes... uh, I got a couple pieces of, of artwork. Everyone visits these museums now, and they send me pictures of the real things that I have in my house. I don't know what they're trying to prove, um, but you know, when, when I go to the Met, next time you go to the Met, you know, you go through the Dutch Master section, or, or, or you go to some of the other uh, Eastern paintings, or that. You know, when, when you see a portrait of someone, you're not interested in the person in the picture. You're interested in who did the painting. That's the whole reason that it's hanging there. If a piece of painting, if a a portrait is hanging in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, it is not there because of its subject. It is there because of its painter. Case closed. I don't care if there's 5,000 pieces of artwork in the Met. Every single one of them is there because of who created it, not because of who is depicted in it. Heaven's the same way. And this room is the same way. You look at me, there's nothing grand. I'm simply a sinner. But you know what is grand? Is my Savior. The one who is responsible for my peace, for my forgiveness. The one who is responsible for my satisfaction, not in my possessions and not in my achievement. But is responsible for my satisfaction in Him. He is the one. And so if you look at me tonight, you would say, what is there to boast in in me? Nothing. Except this. I boast in the one who took my place at Calvary, the one who died on a cross for me. And so our verse says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And so tonight, you could quit the boasting, right? You could quit thinking, what am I done? Have I done enough? Maybe you've only been saved a short while, and you're wondering, is this, what do I really have? You simply look back, and if it has anything to do with you, I wouldn't give you a nickel for it. But if it has anything to do with the cross of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ, it is priceless because it'll stand the time this time. It'll stand this life and eternity. It's a saving faith, and it's nothing that we have to boast in ourselves, but everything in Christ.
Good to see all those that made it out tonight. Uh, I'd just like to read from the Word of God in three different places. And the first reading that we have together is found in the book of Luke in chapter 23. There's a little beetle that decided to read along. So we're going to... There we go. All right. Luke in chapter 23 and verse 38. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Now let's continue reading in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, please. Romans, in chapter 6. Romans in chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, One last reading back in the book of Luke in chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke in chapter 5. And verse 31. Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's all we'll read. I open with those words uh, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. We read them together. For the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't want to take up sin too much tonight, but it's very important to know when we listen to the sound of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of how you can know your sins forgiven. There's a truth there that the wages of our sin is death. Death. I was listening as David spoke about uh, someone being saved, and I guess he saved someone from uh, drowning. But it's interesting to note that if you uh, speak to any lifeguard, and you were to ask them what happens when someone is drowning, they would tell you this along these lines anyway. They would say, when, when we go and save someone, usually we wait till they get tired, because usually the person that's, that's drowning or trying to fight, they, they, they start fighting the person that, that's trying to save them. And usually they take the person that's trying to save them right back into the water. I asked this question tonight as I just listened to Dave mention that story. Are you trying to fight God? 
Because you and I, as born in sin, we are drowning in our sin. And we are desperate. And we need help. And we need a Savior. It would be amazing if one that was drowning in water, and the lifeguard would come and say, I can help, and that person pushed them off. But the world today is pushing God off. And God says, I want to help. I want to radically transform your life. I want to have a relationship with you. And man says, I will not have this man to reign over me. And they push him off. And they fight their way right into eternity. It's a treacherous place to be. And we read those words, the wages of sin is death. The result of our sin is death. It's physical death. Even more importantly, it's spiritual death. What a tragedy to to even have the thought that there are individuals that perhaps sit under the sound of the gospel their whole life. Perhaps holding on to works, as Brother Dave mentioned. Or holding on to something. Or there's some obstacle in front of them and God. And they perish because of their sin. And they land in hell beneath because of their sin. The wages of sin is death. You know, if I went all around the room today, and I had you, you don't have to, but if I asked the question, who here is rich? You might be one person or maybe a whole bunch, and you'd raise your hands and, ah, here I am. And I asked the question, who here is poor? you say, well, here I am. That'd be me. I'd say, okay. And, you, and I'd ask the question, who here went to college? There are those that would raise their hand. Who here is from New Jersey? Those would raise your hand. Who here is from New York City? Those would raise your hand. Who here is from Pakistan? Or be one that, right? Now we go all around the room and, and there's all different types of people here. But if I ask the question, who here is a sinner? A sinner. One that has sinned before a thrice holy God. One that realizes their sinnership. One that realizes that they're separated between the God of heaven. Because the message that I have upon my heart tonight is for sinners. That's what we read together in Luke and chapter 5. The words say this, Christ is speaking here. This is not some man who's an apostle. or No, no, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's Son. And He's telling individuals, He's saying, uh, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. If I took someone and, and um, you know, we wheeled someone into this room, and there they are, and they're laying on a deathbed, and they're dying. It could be cancer or whatever this is, and they're dying, and they've got an hour left of life. What they don't need is a bunch of works. What they don't need is for me to tell them what to do. What they need is life. They need to be risen from that place so they can enjoy life. And friend, today the, the Bible says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And we are dead in our sins. And human beings, they need life. And that life is not found through a church. That life is not found through an an organization. It's not found through some entity. It's not found through some group that gathers. Life is found through Jesus Christ. And that's it. He gave His life to give you life. That's the beauty of the gospel. You know, when we think about sin, I was interested. There was a study that uh, Harvard did on lying. Uh, Interesting to know, uh, some of you younger ones especially will say, well, I don't don't really lie to my parents. But just track with these statistics uh, as they did a survey. Uh, But listen, here it is. Every time someone tells a story, uh, within that 10 minutes, the average amount of lies that are thrown through their lips are three. You realize that? Three. Now, don't look around and point to people and say, well, you told me is a lie. I'm not saying that. But the average human being, as they're telling a 10-minute story, tells three lies every 10 minutes. So I ran numbers just for kicks. 
Uh, but if you ran, if you told stories for an hour, that'd be 18 lies. If you did 10 hours a day of lies, that'd be 180 lies. Can you imagine? Just in that one day, let's say cut it in half and you had 90. Or whatever the numbers are, right? But it'd be horrible to have that many lies. And just count as, as those would be your sins. If you had one year of that sort of trend moving, you'd have over 65,000 lies told. If you just talked and told stories. And Can you imagine? Imagine if lying was the only sin that you committed. And all your life, hundreds of thousands of lies. And you had to before, appear before a holy God. One that says that sin will never enter heaven. Friend, you'd be cast out of heaven. You'd never be able to get there. We can't get to heaven in our sins. That's why we need the cross. That's why we need Christ. We need the blood of Christ. It washes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus Christ died to set you free. He died to have your sins forgiven. To pay the penalty of your sins. What do we read those words? The wages of sin is death. You know the beauty of that particular verse? If I just spoke from Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, here's the beauty. The wages of sin is death. There's a word there. Right there. It's a, it's, it's a pivotal word. The word but stands as a, as, 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 a, as a hinge on a door. The door's closed, friend, if the wages of sin is death. And the verse ended there. If that verse ended there, we're not here tonight. We're finished. We're doomed. Then it says this, but, B-U-T, but the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love it. You speak to people uh, who are not saved or who are searching for an answer. And that verse, and they say, well, Matt, I'm trying to do it the best I can. But you say, listen, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. Not the gift of God is through works. It's not. It's through Christ. That's the answer. So, Today, with God's help, I'd just like to, uh, as it is 8.15, I'd like to just look at some uh, capacities of what sin does in the human heart, what it's done to this earth. Number one, sin destroys innocence. Innocence. I could tell you a, a particular story that happened to our oldest boy. He's 11. And uh, I asked Harrison that story, and he, and he came home, and it was the first time he had let something slip out of his mouth. And I asked him, I said, did you say that? And I watched that boy's face just flush. His innocence, it's broken. It's destroyed. Something he said, something he looked at, your innocence is shattered. And today, all over the world, because of sin, innocence in younger children, it's absolutely destroyed. That's what sin does. It destroys ideals and dreams. I could take you to individuals, even in downtown Chicago, we could walk down the streets of New York City or downtown Jersey, whatever the case may be, and you meet an individual, uh, perhaps you've profiled that person, and you say, you know what, maybe they're not doing so well, and you ask that person, hey, what did you want to be when you were a little boy? I meet guys all the time, Matt, I wanted to play for the Bears, and I was doing really good in high school, and I could have had a scholarship, and then sin came in, and it destroyed my ideals, it destroyed my dreams. And here I am, and I'm addicted to X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Sin came in with its grip. That's what sin does. And, it, and, and, and the devil puts that little glitter ball in front of the sinner. And he says, just touch it one time. And the sinner touches it, and the enemy has him. And he's in his grips, and he brings him into a place where there's no standing. In a miry, miry pit, and sinners claw them, themselves, and they try to get out, and they can't. Because sin, it ruins ideals and shatters dreams. Sin destroys the will to say no. The will to say no. You know what the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is? That He overcame the power of sin. 
The believer doesn't have to say yes to sin. He's got the power, she's got the power to say no to sin. I could take you to a young man, uh, and Brother Muhammad knows him, but Robert, he told me he was walking down the streets of Chicago. He, he had been clean for a year. Alcoholism was his thing. He's younger than me. It ruined his life. He found himself uh, having a good job, and now he's in a gutter in Chicago. Then he gets clean, and he's clean for a year, and he told me, Matt, I will never go back to that drunken lifestyle. He told me this. He said, I was doing some work for Clean Slate, an organization, and I was cleaning the ground, and a nine-year-old boy walked up to me, and he said, what do you want? At nine. And Robert said, uh, I, what, what, what do you mean what do I want? He pulled out his pockets, and he had every single drug you could think of. At nine. Robert said, hey, I'm on parole. I'll never touch that stuff again. And the guy said, do you smoke? And Robert said, I used to smoke. I quit. And he took a cigarette out of his pocket at nine. And he lit that cigarette up and he blew it in Robert's face at nine. Robert said, Matt, I'll never go back there again. He told me that three days later. You know what happened to Robert two weeks later after that? Robert went off the deep end into alcohol again. Want to know why? He said no one time, but it had it control. And he can't say no. He's never been washed by the blood of Christ. He can't say no. He doesn't have the power to say no. The enemy has the power. John says, he who sins is a servant to sin. He, he does everything sin wants. He's enslaved by that. Not only that, it produces slavery. And I just said that. Okay, so let's go on. It produces more sin. You ever meet someone? This is something I don't like. Uh, I've had people say things to me, especially downtown. I've had people spit in my face. I've had people put their hands on me. And usually when that happens, I put my hands behind my back. I don't do anything. It doesn't really bother me. But if you lie to me, I have a problem with that. It's hard for me to handle that one. I don't like lying. <laughs> you ever meet someone who lies, and they continue lying to back up that former lie, and they just keep building on that lie? That's the, that's the point here. Sin produces more sin. It just continues. And people fall into sin, and it takes over them and over them. No, sin produces sickness and pain. Don't tell me we have hospitals for no reason. There's sin. It's produced pain. It's produced sicknesses. When the garden was created and Adam and Eve were created, God breathed into her nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Adam was perfect and Eve was perfect. They were without sin. Until sin came in. And they sinned before a holy God. And they were kicked out of the garden. And what do you see as a result of sin? The first sin separated man and God. The second sin we see in scripture separates man and man. And Adam's boy takes his other son's life. And you see a murder committed. That's sin. Sickness. Pain. Misery. Sin produces death. Death. The wages of sin produces death. You know, I gave this statistic at the church uh, that here in Midland Park. But uh, last year in 2016, I know there are some here that are not from this. Last year in 2016, uh, Chicago had 732 Murders. Murders. Deaths. Sin produces death. Not only physical death. You say, well, Matt, I'm not going to get murdered. No, that's right. I hope not. But there's a day coming when your human body, it will die. It will, it will stop breathing. The part will start pounding. The, the, stop pounding. The brain will stop operating. And you will be placed in a casket. You will pass from life as we know it unto death. I ask you, where are you going? Where are you going? Because the Bible that I read and the Bible that I've trusted with my life tells me about two places. Heaven above and hell beneath. Heaven for the believer. Heaven for the blood-bought saint. Heaven for the accepted and the beloved. Heaven for the one who's washed by the blood of Christ. Hell for the unbeliever. 
Hell for the one who's put off God. Hell for the one who's pushed off Christ. That's the message here. Heaven or hell. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Friend, listen. The world today outside of Christ has no hope. It's over. If they just turn to the cross, they have life. So let's look at one here who is near the cross. Because we see here in this particular portion of Scripture, in Luke chapter 23, we see in one of the malefactors which were hanged, I'm just reading Scripture in Luke 23 and verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him says, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? In this particular story, there's three people. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's dead center in the middle. Here's a thief on one side. Here's a thief on the other side. One thief is, 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 is uh, cursing Christ. The other thief is not cursing Christ. As a matter of fact, the other thief, as they're cursing Christ, he says, hey, don't you know that this person is here for nothing that he's ever done? That's in our English, English language. And that thief, for the first time, we read these words because that's a heart of repentance. You say, well, Matt, what is repentance? That's a big word. And repentance, if we brought it right down to a four or five-year-old level, this is what repentance is. There's a way that I think is right. The Bible says that. There's a way that seems right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. And for the first time in my life, I realize that my way is wrong and God's way is right. And I have a change of mind. A change of attitude of who God is. And that's what happens to this, this man. He has a repentant uh, heart. And he says these words in verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He's saying, listen, I know why I'm here. I'm on a cross and I'm dying for my sins. He says, but this man, this Christ, he's done nothing. He doesn't deserve to be here. There's something different about Christ. He's watched them. And this thief is probably, they've been swearing and cursing and screaming. And, but they're watching Christ and he's absolutely silent. It's different. That's why the centurion, no wonder the centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. Truly. He has watched many men come and be crucified. He is callous to the work of the cross. He is callous to people being crucified. But he watches one man, that's Christ. And the Lord Jesus comes and he lets men hit him. And he lets men spit upon him. And he lets men put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And he lets men put a crown of thorns on him. Before they even do that, they, they, they buffet him. They, they, they put the crown of thorns into his brow. And they raise him up between heaven and earth. The place where he came from and the place he was dying for. And that centurion watches that beautiful Christ. And he's silent. And he watches all the transactions and the seven cries from the cross. And he says, truly, that man's different. That's the Son of God. It's different. I wonder as you hear the gospel message, have you ever realized who we're speaking about? Because that's God's son, friend. He loved you so much. He went to the cross and he died for you at the cross of Calvary. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. And these two men, these two men have two different decisions that they're going to make. One man decides to curse Christ. One man decides to accept Christ for who he is. And he says, Lord, listen, here it is. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There was a decision made. One decided to reject Christ and he perished. One decided to trust Christ and he woke up in heaven. Imagine. It's a beautiful thought because he left absolute violent agony. He left screaming in pain. And he entered a place where there's no pain. 
a new body, new thoughts. He's now in heaven. And Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love the thought there because the Lord doesn't say, hey, you know what? Get down off the cross and prove to me you're good. Prove to me that you could do some works. Listen, that man has no choice. He has no hope. He has nailed in his sins out on a cross. And Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That could be your story. Today, you could walk off this tent door and know for certain that you're going to heaven. Not because of Matt, not because of Dave, not because of Andrew, not because of any believer that says anything to you. Based solely upon the word of God, you come to trust for the first time in your life. Jesus died for me. That's it. And it's all over. Just like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know his name. I saw the book, John Bunyan. But uh, I love that book because he's coming to a place and he's there and he's burdened with his sin. And there's that big backpack. You ever feel that way? As you go through life, you look back at your life and all the regrets and all the burdens and all the challenges. And you say, oh, man, oh, it's so heavy. Turn to the cross. And that burden of sin will roll away if you realize that Jesus paid for your sins. I, took, I could take you to a man... Uh, Carlos, uh, last year, I'm thinking of the brother he was, he was with. He's from Pennsylvania. He was with us anyway. And Carlos asked the question after Gossman. He said, Matt, uh, Mateo, he said, Mateo, um, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He said, what you spoke about tonight, you guys, we spoke three guys. He said, the gospel. He said, if I could get that, if I could grab it, I would walk on my knees back to where I'm from. I said, where are you from? He said, Texas. We're in Chicago. And he said, I would walk on glass. I'd walk on nails. If I could grasp, if I could hold on to what you're talking about. So the other brother that was with us, he started reading the word of God to him and showing him different things. And that man just lit up after about 15 minutes. And the brother that was with us said, uh, Carlos, how do, we, how do we pray for you? He asked us to pray for you. How do we pray for you now? He said, you don't have to because Jesus died for my sins. I never have to walk that far to get a hold of my... Right? Isn't that beautiful? This man heard the gospel one time in his life. He had never heard that message. And clearly I never presented it clear enough because he's thinking he has to do some walking and everything. But God revealed himself to him through the word of God. It wasn't something I said. That man came to trust in the word of God. Now notice I'm going to close with one thought. These two thieves went to two different places. Two destinies. If you look at this particular... Uh, portion of scripture, you see two declarations. One curses Christ, one accepts Christ. You see two different decisions. One chooses to take him, one chooses to push him off. Okay, now you see this. Two destinies. I like to ask the question very carefully. Where are you going? Now, you don't have to answer, but I can tell you from experience, uh, as a young boy, probably your, your son's age, Jason, uh, my grandfather uh, died from alcoholism. Skin cancer, lung cancer, name it. And I remember walking to that casket. I didn't know him as a boy. I don't know what it's like to have a grandfather who gives you a hug and says, I love you. I don't know what that's like. Both my grandfathers were alcoholics. And I'll never forget going to see Pepe Landry. Pepe is French for grandfather. And I walked into that big cathedral. And I listened to the man who ran that cathedral. And he talked about how my grandfather was such a good man. And I knew otherwise. He tried to light our hands on fire. He's a wicked man. And I remember looking into that casket and wondering, where are you? You know, the body's cold. It's never going to rise again. We're never going to be told we can't go to his house because you know what? He's not there anymore. Actually, when he died, we were able to go to that home and visit my grandmother. He was a wicked man. And I wondered, where is he? 
I asked the question today, if we ever got the phone call, it's, it's, a, it's someone who's exercising the gospel, a preacher, a sister, a brother, it doesn't matter. The worst call they can get is hearing a call of someone we're praying for and they're lost. And we get that call and we hear James or whatever his name is or Cynthia or whatever, she slipped into eternity. And we show up to that particular church or casket or wherever you are and we wonder, where are you? Amazing to know that tonight, as we close in speaking, you can know for sure with no shadow of a doubt. You say, Matt, you have said that over and over again. Listen, I'm going to quote scripture to answer the question. Here it is. I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Now let's turn to Romans in chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can have that. It's a free gift. Dave mentioned a free gift. I won't even go on that. Let's close with this. You can have the gift of salvation tonight. It's yours. Someone asked one time, uh, how close is the Lord? How available is He? He's right here. And you can take Him for your very own. Let's close in prayer.